Last week was one of those messages. But I believe God is challenging us. And Pastor Roger, I loved the fact that you played some newer songs today. And I saw a lot of you younger folks entering in, clapping. And then you played some older ones, and I saw a lot of the older folks entering in and clapping. All right, and the reason I brought that up was on varying Sundays, I never know what God's going to put on my heart to share. And I'm honestly, I'm trying to be so obedient to his voice and to his direction. Uh, I pray, I, and, and I ask our prayer partners to pray with me that God would just illustrate what he wants this week. Because I believe every week's different. And you need something different each week. But we also have to remember, though some of us have been in the faith for years, some of us have just begun. And so every now and then you might get a message that's a little more primary, a little more basic. And I believe today's message is like that, okay? Is it okay once in a while to just go back and make sure that we're doing the things that we're supposed to do? That foundational stuff? And... I have quite a few scriptures. I try not to give you too many, but when you're emphasizing the Word of God, it's kind of hard not to use it. If you're really spiritual, you should be feeding yourself all week long. And and by the way, that reminds me, um, we ended the Lou Giglio series last Wednesday night, and this Wednesday we're going to be looking at the book of Titus. So if if you're going to come on Wednesday night at 7, our Bible study time is 7, and we will look at Titus. So kind of come in refreshed a little bit on what that says. All right, I want to begin with this. Not everything that we question is in the Bible. How many would say, duh, right? Not everything, but God intends the Bible to be our guide and our rule for life. That's my title, sort of. We need to understand that maybe you won't find specific things in the Bible that you're questioning, but I believe if you search enough, you'll get the general picture of what you should do, what the morally right answer is. How many would agree with that? But to start there, to start here, that the Bible is our guide, our rule, we have to understand one very important principle, and that is that God's Word is inspired. All right, this book, there weren't just a bunch of authors that sat down one day and decided they were going to write out their memoirs. They were instructed, they were driven by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to put up a couple of scriptures as proof texts And I am going between uh, the TNIV and the NLT today. So all Scripture, say this with me, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the good news right there. Thankfully, God didn't just leave us to, to languish on our own. He gave us the instruction book, the manual, if you will, on how he wants us to live our lives. The next scripture is found in Second Peter, 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Do you get that? Is that clear enough? And he went on to say, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, we believe that this book, and it has its issues, you know, I've gone back to get my master's in theology, and trust me, one thing I'm learning is, it ain't perfect. God's word's perfect, but the way we have interpreted it, every now and then there are a few issues there. And I'm, I'm learning how to address those. But the one thing I know is that when you read God's word, no matter what, well, almost no matter what uh, translation you choose, it's going to say basically the same thing. Maybe a little different here, a little different there. And that's why it's good to have a parallel Bible or to compare a couple different versions. I was talking to Patty the other day, and uh, she was saying how she, was try- she loves to change up her Bible translation just to, just to see what it says. It's different. And it does help. So how many would agree with me today? We can say with all honesty and sincerity, I believe that God's Word is inspired. Can you say that with me? I believe that God's Word is inspired. All right, so with that, here's where I want to move to, the context. When you read the Word of God, and many of us do this, we will jump on a passage, one scripture, and we'll make that our salvation experience, all right? That's what we cling to. That's what we share all the time. And that's okay, but the context means that you understand what's going on around that verse. You can't just cherry pick a verse and say, yeah, this is what I'm going to hang on to. Make sure that what you're saying it says is really what the apostle or the prophet meant with the audience that they were first addressing, and that's the context of it. Sometimes you have to read around it. You can't, you can't just go to that verse. You have to read around that verse. And you're going to see some of this illustrated here in just a minute. But here's what I want you to get today. If you're questioning whether or not you should do something in this life, whether it's pleasing to God or not, the best thing you can do is go to his word. Start there. And if you'll do this, God will honor that. And listen, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit and he will remind you of everything I said and he will instruct you. So what that says to me is, and and I believe this is true 2,000 years later, that when you take the time to read God's word, the Holy Spirit, if you invite him to, that he will guide you into all truth. That's why it's so important that we are Bible-believing Christians because too many have strayed by making up man's ways, by interpreting things that aren't there. So let's, let's begin. What do you do when the thing you're wondering about is found in the Bible? How many know? You go to those verses. 
You study them out. How many know what a concordance is? How many don't know what a concordance is? Okay. Best way I could put this, Google would be a concordance in a sort. Whenever you wonder something, you plug a word in, what pops up? All these different words, right? That you're, you're wondering maybe how to define it in the context, what does it mean, etc. A concordance is similar. It has every word in that translation in that concordance. Usually they're really thick books. The beauty is if you get a Bible software program, and many of them are free, it has the concordance in it. And if you plug in a word, it will, like love, that's a big one, because you're going to see like probably, I don't even know, 3,000 times? I didn't look it up. But in the Bible, you'll see it over and over and over. Now, some words you'll only see every now and then. So what you want to do, and I'm going to use an example here. If I hope this is all right. The example might be drinking, because this is something that a lot of people struggle with. You know, is it right? Is it wrong? And here's the thing. I might share how I feel today, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because every Christian should form their own opinion, make up their own mind on what Jesus is saying to them. What the Word of God intends for you. Is that okay? I hope this doesn't sound like heresy. And, and maybe it'll make more sense when we get to the end. So, one of the verses or chapters, passages, that a lot of people go to when they're talking about drinking is this. Jesus turned water into wine. All right, they're at a wedding feast. He hadn't even started his ministry yet. In fact, he got upset with his mom. It's like, Mom, really? It isn't time yet. And I started thinking about this, and I thought, all right, she told him what to do, told the servants, go get the, the water pots, bring them in, and he'll turn that into wine. What does that say? First, I believe he did this at home. Think about it. Would she have said this to him otherwise if she hadn't seen him already do it? I don't think so. Now, this is just Pastor Norm speaking here. I don't want to sound like I'm condoning drinking. I don't drink. So bear with me through this. I'm just trying to point out the obvious. Can you really say that they didn't drink in the Bible? I've heard people say, oh, well, that was a, that was a non-alcoholic wine. <laughs> Whatever. I don't think they knew what that was. You know, when you, and here's the thing, and I bring this out a little bit later, so I hope I won't be redundant, but their water was not filtered. And people did things in the streams. <clears throat> yeah, the people animals did things that you might not even want to be upstream or downstream, whichever way. You get what I'm saying. So they had to be careful what they drank. We don't have that issue today, right? Most of us have ready access to clean, filtered water. Most of us. So 
I'm just saying, I might get to this again in a minute just to emphasize the point. So don't say that they never drank in the Bible because here we see Jesus changing water into wine. But does this passage suggest that you and I should drink as Christians? That's the question. In 1 Timothy 5.23, another one that people like to quote, don't drink only water. You know, Paul loved Timothy. He was like his son. Timothy had some issues, physically, obviously. And he said, you ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. So what do we see here? What's the context? It's medicinal, all right? And I'm going to talk about this again in relation to something else as we move along. I want you to get this. This isn't license for you and me to drink. You have to figure this out yourself. But I'm just saying, it does not give us license just because he says, oh, drink some wine, Timothy. How many have ever lived with a drunk? How many were a drunk? I might not be saying that right. So if you've lived as a drunk or were a drunk, then you know how miserable we can be. One of the reasons I choose to abstain. Just one of many. I want you to see the context here, though. In the Middle East, drinking water wasn't the best. He may have had a parasite. I don't know. And sometimes alcohol would help to cleanse that out, as I understand it. But obviously, we should not arrive at the fact that this was a common thing. And here's the point. For Timothy... To be instructed to do this meant that it wasn't common for them to drink. Did you catch that? The fact that Paul even brought it up, the Apostle Paul even brought it up, means that it wasn't common. He had to tell the young man, you know what, in your, in your case, you need to drink a little wine. It'll help you. Are you with me? All right. Here's the other side of the, the but. Yes, it's okay to drink wine here, but, and and here's one that I love. In Proverbs 20 and 1, wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Before I met Jesus as my personal Savior, I went to these places that served alcohol, had bands and stuff. Mike, do you ever see a fight? Couple, just two? Man, if you wanted to see a fight, just go to the bar. Why? Because it does something to you. It changes your nature. You're more belligerent, I was. Maybe more ornery, maybe more combative. Maybe, maybe it makes you think that you're Superman with superpowers. And the only way to find out that you're not is when you try to tackle that six-foot-six guy that, yeah. Not saying that was me. I'm just saying I've seen this, all right? That was before Jesus for me. When I met Jesus, I I stopped going to those places because I knew that wasn't where I should be. The Holy Spirit cleansed me, cleaned me up, 
delivered me. I, I was one of those instant miracles. Delivered me from cigarettes, alcohol, and cussing. Instantly. It doesn't happen for everybody, but it did for me. And I didn't even realize he'd done it for a couple weeks. And I've shared this, this story many times. It took a friend of mine going, after talking to me several minutes, he goes, Oberlin, what's up with you? And he finally said, I know what it is. You haven't cussed the whole time that we've been talking. What happened? And I said, I guess I got Jesus. <laughs> and he goes, I'm a Christian too. I didn't even know it. I worked with a guy for four years and didn't even know he was a believer because he never told me. I'm not condemning him. Just saying, maybe he should have spoke up sooner. We're going to get into that later. Not today, but down the road here soon. So God can change you. And when he does, like a dog goes back to its vomit, is that going to be you? He delivered you not to go back to that nasty stuff. Okay, now I'm preaching. I'm going to let you make this decision. So this next one, this has to do, and if you'll notice, and I, I put it in red, it talks about drunkenness. Not just drinking, but drunkenness. All right? You're with me still. Because we belong to the day, that means that we're born again, we're saved. We must live decent lives for all to see. Did you catch that part? So, what is he saying here? He's saying, look, as a Christian, if you want people to do what you're doing, then you need to be the right example. You're still living with me. Don't participate in the dr darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. And I'm not going to ask how many of you have been there, but I'm sure some of us have. Or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. That's a good word. They dealt with this stuff in the early church. Can we take what the apostles said to them, and does it still apply to us today? That's the question you have to answer. All right, he meant this for the early church, for the church in Rome. Does he want us to live the same way? And I believe that Christian character stays the same. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God commands us to do doesn't change. There's a way to live, and there's a way not to live. And that's what you and I have to struggle with. That's the tension between this life and a life of holiness that we have to figure out. What does God want me to look like? What's the best way for me to live so that he can use me? You see, when we ask honest, legitimate questions like this, guess what? He'll answer us. But if we don't ever ask the question, and we just stumble through this life, then nothing's ever going to change. So ask the questions. Figure out what God wants you to do. Now, we've shifted somewhat from drinking to drunkenness. Here's another one. And I want you to catch the context of this. It doesn't, this next one, I haven't put it up yet. This doesn't say 
that drunkenness is the context. What the context is, he said, don't sin. That's what I want you to catch here. So the relation is drinking leads to sin. All right, you're with me. Here it is. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. It doesn't say you're perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But it does say it shouldn't be your lifestyle. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Those, those are such, I could do a whole message on this. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. So here again, relationship is godless people equals their immorality and lust, their feasting, which would be overeating, and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. So you see the relationship there. Drunkenness equals sin. We should not, as Christians, be this way. Now, I don't stop there because the context goes on. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. I'm reminded so clearly of when I stopped drinking. And I discovered how deep my friendship was with my supposed best friends. Because when I stopped, and I worked at General Motors, I had a great paycheck. I had my own house at the age of 19. So guess what? My friends like to come to Norm's house to party, and I had a killer stereo system. <laughs> my neighbors did not like my stereo. And I would play jazz late into the night, or, or Alice Cooper, or it, it drove my wife crazy, and I'm, that's one of the reasons I'm amazed we're still married. Not going there today. When I changed, when Jesus did the change in me, and I stopped drinking, stopped socializing that way, these buddies stopped coming over. Wasn't anything else I did other than I stopped partying, and because of that, they stopped coming around. Your friends are not going to like you if they are non-Christian. Just get used to it. Maybe you'll win them to the kingdom. I don't know. In, in the case of my friends, so far I don't think so. But I couldn't go back to that. Just to appease them, I wasn't going to pop a beer or whatever. I gave it up for Jesus. They slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, so that although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. So, when you live for God in the Spirit, you're going to live with Him forever. Don't go back to that old man, that old 
woman's lifestyle. That isn't what God wants for you and me. Again, I'm preaching. I'm sorry. I'm trying to let you make this decision. Here it is again, Romans 14, 15, and I'll, I'll end with this one as far as this is drinking's concerned. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Did you hear that? If what you're doing causes your neighbor, your friend, your, a family member distress, you're no longer responding in love. Husband, wife, son, daughter, why? If you see that it's causing issues, I like a peaceful house myself. We, we watched uh, Live PD last night, and, and I'm telling you what, I had it on just for a little bit, and I was like, this guy comes out, he's angry with the sheriff, he's calling him all kinds of names, and I'm th- you know who I felt sorry for? The man's wife. Because she probably had to listen to that stuff all day long. He, w- he was a miserable cuss. None of us should be like that as a Christian. Hello? Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I love that little part. I'm actually going to close with that verse, that the scriptures about that. But Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. All right? So be... The Christian that God wants you to be. Now here's the part that has to do with drinking. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Verse 21 is the key. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Well, my friends don't want to hang out with me anymore because I don't drink. They're lost, hopefully. What if you decide, yeah, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do it because I don't want to lose them as friends. What does that say to them? Is your relationship with him really all that important? If you could waffle back and forth. I don't know. That's a question you have to answer. And I hope you can see here that whether you drink or not is really, it's a conscious choice that every single Christian has to make. In my opinion, the evidence leads toward not drinking. And if a Christian chooses to sip a glass of wine, it should never, I know this, it should never lead to one getting drunk from what I've read in Scripture. And that's how I interpret the Bible. By the way, and I choose not to drink, and I've already talked about this, but there's another reason I don't, and that is because my credentials hinge on it. If I drink, I will no longer be your pastor as an Assemblies of God minister. So, anyway, just so you know that. So don't offer me a drink. Study this out on your own and see what the Holy Spirit says to you. 
What if what we're questioning is not in the Bible? You see, this is the part that gets tricky. Because we, we believe that this is our rule of life. This book governs us. Basic manual for living the way God instructed. But if you can't find what you want to do, or you're questioning whether or not to do something, and it's not in the Bible, what do you do? And these are very simple things. The example I use is cigarettes. And if you smoke, everybody around you knows it. So stop pretending. <laughs> Smoking was not an issue during Jesus' time. All right? So it's not found in the good book. Many pastors go to verses that talk about how the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that that's accurate. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's in context. You have to ask, if the Holy Spirit were living in me, would he like it there? And I, I, I go back to uh, when I used to go to the nightclubs or bars, and as soon as you walked in, or maybe even just a restaurant, not too many years ago, where they allowed smoking. And after I became born again, after the Lord delivered me from smoking, and I'd go into some of these restaurants and there'd be some dude next to me. And you know what I wanted to do? In the flesh, I wanted to shove that cigarette down his throat. Because it made me gag. And I was the worst non-smoker. And I, I was so happy when uh, most of our restaurants, or all of them, went no smoking. Now I don't have to deal with it. Thank you, Jesus. But that doesn't answer the question that I, that I posed. What's the Bible say about it? And it doesn't. So a scripture that a lot of people like to go to. And by the way, to some degree, this is taken out of context. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I have the right to do anything. This is some people, this is their mantra right here. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. When you're a smoker, what happens? It masters you. I mean... And I think I've, I've said this before. I was 26, and, and I didn't share this, not to belabor the point, but I went back. God delivered me from alcohol, cigarettes, cussing, all that stuff. And I spent a year and a half serving him. And then for some stupid reason, this, this man at my work offered me a cigarette. And I was in a weak moment, I guess, and I said, you know what, I can do this. Yeah, all right. And I took the cigarette. He lit it for me. You know what came out of his mouth? Welcome back. Did I quit? No. When Jesus delivered me at 23... I was smoking about two packs a day. When I was 26, the second time Jesus delivered me completely, 
And I didn't go back to the cussing part, but I did drink a little bit. When Jesus delivered me the second time, I was smoking over four packs of Marlboro Reds a day. That's not my, why my voice is like this today. Usually I don't sound like this. If he hadn't delivered me, I don't know how much longer I would have made it. Seriously. And this is the miracle. I've had my lungs x-rayed recently. And doctor says, ah, they're clear. No issues. I give God the glory for that. No. We're still stuck on this, though. Hopefully you can see the point that the apostle's making here. Yes, we can do anything that we want with our bodies, but not everything is beneficial. So that's something you have to answer. Would cigarettes fall into the beneficial or not beneficial category? Okay, it might help you in that brief moment, some of you think this way, when you're, and you're nervous and, you, and that cigarette, you feel like it helps you. But does it really? It just causes you to be more nervous. I can't imagine how I'd be today. Hear this. You have to ask that question. Is this thing good for me or not? We know through scientific evidence that cigarettes are deadly. Carcinogens. Very harmful chemicals in them. And they will kill you. We've seen too many people die from this. Sometimes the Lord wants us to use our common sense when it comes to our questions. And if you're asking something, hear this, if you're asking something over and over and over and over and not liking the answer that you get, it might be that you just want to do that thing. And, and then it becomes a sin issue. Are you hearing me? If the Holy Spirit keeps saying, no, but you keep still looking for other answers. <laughs> it might be because you just want to do that thing and you're looking for any excuse you can find to help relieve your conscience. Don't be that Christian. If you keep questioning something, here's my best advice. Don't do it. Say this with me. Don't do it. If the Holy Spirit keeps telling you don't do it, don't do it. And you know what I'm talking about. Every single one of us find ourselves in some situation where this happens. And we, we have to decide, am I going to honor God with this or not? Is this thing I want to do, is it good for me? Is it good for my family? Is it good for my church? Is it good for my friends to see me doing this thing or not? And then you have to come up with your own answer. All right, I am, I'm going to jump in here. The context of 1 Corinthians 6.12 has to do with having sex outside of marriage. We're, we're going to hit some things today. If you're young people in here, I've, I've got it hopefully G-rated. This passage is tied to having sex with prostitutes because that was an issue when this was written. So don't just think, well, they never had to struggle with this stuff. Oh, yes, they did. 
You know, in the original Greek Olympics, they did it naked. Yeah, imagine going, you'd have your wife there and you'd be going, don't look. I mean, the, the dude's already chiseled. Now you've got to see everything. It's like, really? That's how it was. Obviously, prostitutes were an issue because he addresses that specifically. You say, food for the stomach, the stomach for food, God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? What's his answer? Never. Never. Do you not know he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Is this clear? We've shifted from drinking to cigarettes and now to the question about our sexual morality. We see that the early church obviously had issues with making the right choices. Is it okay to have sex with whomever I desire? What if somebody says it is? You know, they're changing laws now to make room for those who aren't married but want to have sex. It used to be it was in the law book that if you did that, they're archaic laws, but if you had sex with somebody that wasn't your spouse, that was breaking the law. Now they're changing it. And now they're marrying two or three at the same time. Not like that should be a big surprise. Some claim erroneously that Jesus did not talk about sex. But he did. Sex was by God's design and it was intended to be beautiful. When sex is reserved between a man and a woman, it is a beautiful thing. There was a time when the church condemned it. Sex is evil. You shouldn't have it. Other than to have kids. That was never God's intention. God never condemned sex, but he gave us parameters to confine it between a man and a woman. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and at the bottom, it's also found in Mark 10, 6 through 9. And here, Jesus is actually quoting from Genesis 1, 26, 27, which tells us even Jesus relied on the word of God, just like we are today. Haven't you read, he replied, because he was asked the question, about divorce. Is it okay to divorce? He said, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and what? Female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You with me? So what we see here is Jesus is pro-marriage when it's between a man and a woman. And I believe that the idea here is, it, it's many-fold, but first, God wanted us to multiply. He wanted us to fill the earth, subdue it. That was our job. That was Adam and Eve's job. But that wasn't it. 
sex wasn't just to have kids. It was a part of the beautiful relationship in the marriage. God wanted them to enjoy it. The man and the woman complement each other. Each sex has something the other does not have. It goes way beyond sexual parts, by the way. I believe this is spiritual as well. The two spirits come together as God designed them to. You're still with me. Another question that I raised a couple of sermons ago was whether or not what is called cannabis, weed, dope, marijuana, THC, blunt, bobo, or whatever other name you can come up with, is it okay for Christians to consume it? It's a legitimate question. And many of you are saying, no. But this is what you have to answer. What's the Bible say about it? Nothing specifically. When something is not mentioned in the Bible, it does not automatically mean that it's okay for us to partake. We need to use our brain, pray, ask the Holy Spirit what He wants for you. All right? Now, as a pastor, and hopefully this doesn't shake anybody, I feel that those who are in chronic pain, and I've had people come to me and say, all right, I have a choice between taking this uh, narcotic or marijuana. What do you think, pastor? My answer is, which one is going to least harm you if you have to do this? I mean, some people are in such chronic pain, they need to do something. And I'm not going to stand between them and relief. And I tell them, that's a choice you have to make, but I would probably lean toward the marijuana because I know what the narcotic does. Does that mean the marijuana is good for you? No. Scientific studies are not finished yet. It's too new. But what we have found out, and I shared this two weeks ago, is young people should not smoke it because it kills brain cells quicker than anything. So as a young person, whatever your IQ is now, do you really want it to drop? And I don't mean to, I, I hope, young people, I'm not saying this to be snarky here or, or even funny. But when they come out with this evidence, all right, if you smoke marijuana, your IQ is going to drop 10%. Most of us can't afford 10%. I can't. So listen to these people. When you become an adult, whatever, then you've got to go through this list of things. You have to figure this out. What does God want you to do? I am not convinced that Christians should get high just for the sake of getting high. That's me. First, it would be difficult to hear from the Holy Spirit when you're under his, that influence. Second, and we've already talked about the science, this uh, THC is tetrahydrocannabinol. That's, that's what gets you high. When we were young, when we were young, and I did partake a little bit before I met Jesus. I didn't after, though, just to say. When we did it, the THC level was so low that you might get high, but you were still in somewhat in control. Today, that's not the case. It's, they've engineered it so that it's so powerful. When you smoke this stuff, you don't know it. 
you're getting half the time. And it's so strong, you could hallucinate from this stuff. Is that really what you want as a Christian? Can you imagine if I came in next Sunday? I'll stop there. Barb said, don't glorify it. I'm not trying. I'm just trying to have a real argument with everybody here. You see, these, these are what the world is dealing with today. And if we don't have some kind of answer for them, why we're living the way we are, we might as well not say anything, and most of us don't. But if we can decide in our own hearts legitimately why we do or don't do something, how it lines up with Scripture or not, don't you think that's a much better way to have that conversation with the world? Look, we, I've dealt with this. I've, I've struggled with it just like you. And this is how I came up with this answer. I want to honor God with, with what he's blessed me. When God lives in this temple, I don't want him walking out going, <coughs> not that he would. I, I don't know what he does there. As your pastor, if you're questioning the validity of something that is not in the Bible, then I would say that you need to pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit what He would want you to do. I think it's so important. So, wrapping this up. When you question something, go to God's Word first. All right? Can you find it in there? And if it is in there, like drinking, you know, read all... Find a concordance. Find all the locations. Look, and, and here's the thing with the concordances. If you look up the word drunk, it's going to be different than drunkenness. So you've got to look up every word that has to do with it. Drink, drunkenness, drunk. You get it. Go to God's Word first. If it's not in the Bible, use your common sense. All right, like we talked about cigarettes. And if you're stuck smoking, God bless you. I, I hope. Just... You know what? I, I tried to quit. I can't even tell you how many times. Unsuccessfully. But when I really got serious about it, man, God was there. And you may not experience, maybe you got to do that, whatever that stuff is they take. The chewing gum or whatever, nicotine stuff. Whatever works. But stop smoking. Because that's going to kill you. Or at least, at the very least, make you really sick. Use your common sense. And then, pray. It's a beautiful thing when you communicate with God and you have a question. Do you think that he's going to ignore your question? If you really ask it with sincerity, not because you want to sin and you already know the answer. I'm not talking about that. If you already know the answer, then stop trying to do it. Don't do it. But if you're genuinely asking a question about something in your life, is it right or not? Is this honoring God or not? Trust me, if you go to him, he's not going to shun you. And he will help you to come to a conclusion. It may not be a specific scripture, or it may be. It might just be a general theme that runs through the Bible, as so many themes do. But if you're listening and you're asking, he will speak to you. And he'll show you the path, the direction that you should take.
By inviting God to help, I believe he will show you what the safe, moral, and right thing is for you to do. Amen? I want to close with this passage because it's, I love this one. You want to get drunk? <laughs> Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And by the way, I looked that up. It means excessive indulgence. Which leads to excessive indulgence. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Huh? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get drunk on wine. Get filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Would you stand with me? God loves us. Sometimes he doesn't like, like our actions, but he loves us. And I hope that this message helps you to find balance, to answer some of those tougher questions that we all face. I just want to say, if you're in that place you're here today and you're saying, you know what? It's all good, but I really haven't put my trust in the Lord. I don't know what it means to serve Jesus. Well, I'd like to give you that opportunity before we close here. Is there anybody here today that you just say, you know what? I need Jesus. And I want to tell you from my own experience that when I was 26 years old, which was forever ago. I'm double that now, just to say. Way double that. Oh, why'd I go there? Now I'm getting depressed. Not really. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't met Jesus. If I hadn't made him Lord of my life. I would be dead. I'm positive about this. I would have been divorced, a drunk, or a drug addict. And God only knows what else I would have done. But because of the grace of God and his reaching down to me through a friend, I took a chance back in 1981. I took a chance and I said, Jesus, I don't understand you but I, I want what this man says you can give me. And I didn't know what was going to happen next. I really didn't. I, I thought the guy was a loony to begin with. But you know what? There was something about him that was different, and I knew I wanted what he had because I didn't have that peace. I didn't have a reason to live, and I was so desperate to find that. So would you bow your heads just for a moment? If you're here today and you say, Pastor Norm, that's me. I, I don't have a reason to live. I would like to say yes to Jesus and give him a chance.
to change my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand up so I can see it real quick? Thank you. Anybody else? Yep. Anybody else? You can put them down. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. There were a few that raised their hand. And we want to pray with you as a family. And then I'm going to dismiss. But just recognize this. If you pray this prayer with us, when we're done here today, make sure to tell somebody what you did. At least one or two Christians, just so they can be praying for you. And I'll be up here afterwards if you would like to talk a little bit more. Um, just know that I'm here. And be happy to pray with you further if you'd like. So let's pray this today. Father, help me. I know there are things that I need to do. But the first step is accepting what Jesus did for me. So today, February 23rd, 2020, I ask that you'd forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. Change me, Lord, from the inside out. I give you permission. Fill me. Holy Spirit, come live in me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant business with God, He is doing something in you. You may not have felt it, but you are born again. I believe that with all my heart. I didn't realize I'd been changed for two weeks until somebody identified that I had. So let God do what only He can do. Father, we are again challenged by this message. Lord, you gave us the word through your son Jesus. The word in the flesh. And Lord, we're supposed to apply that word to our lives. Help us with that. Help us to ask the right questions and to stop living sinful lifestyles. Lord, we know in our hearts what's right and what's wrong. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that each one of us today would give you permission to speak into us, to tell us when we're going too far to the left, too far to the right. God, guide us. We give you permission to do that. And if that's you and you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Now, Lord, get us home safe. Put people in our path that we can minister to and share the love of and hope of God with them. God, again, we commit this church, this people, and those watching online, Lord, into your mighty hands. And again, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Love you all. Look forward to seeing you again soon.